Well, welcome to fall kickoff. I want to take a moment and welcome all of those who are online right now. We're so grateful for you guys. Thank you for being here as well and there as well. Can we welcome them? Come on, let's do that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, we're starting a brand new series. Now, you may not know this if this is your first time here. We are actually in like a 45-week uh, series in Romans. Romans is decidedly the most complicated, theologically uh, in-depth book of the Bible. And so um, it's been great so far. We're starting a new series today. As we move into chapters 7 through 9, um, Paul is addressing some very, very um, real challenges. If you look at the screen, uh, it is, you know, how to get unstuck, how to get unstuck, right? And so we're talking about people who've been stuck, and, and these are people who are stuck in the first century that Paul's talking about, but we live in a world right now that is filled with uh, challenges and is filled with people who are just spiritually stuck. I was talking to the director of counseling here, um, and uh, one of the things that he was telling me was that almost 50% of the people that are coming in for counseling right now are not coming in for depression or anxiety, although there are people like that. They're not coming in for marriages, although there are people like that. They're coming in because they're having spiritual problems. They're trying to figure out what does their faith mean in a day like this. And, and I know that some of you are coming, and I mentioned this probably about, maybe, maybe about three or four months ago, but some of you who are online and some of you who are in the room right now are coming from churches who just fell apart or are in the process of falling apart. And I just want you to understand that that is a challenging place to find yourself in. And sometimes it can feel like you're stuck spiritually. Like what happened to my leadership? What happened to our church? What happened to the stuff that's going on? So if you're in that place right now, we want to welcome you, but also say, I want to encourage you to take your next step toward Jesus. Just because one guy falls, just because a church falls apart, doesn't mean that Jesus was affected by that at all. He is for you. He loves you. He is with your family. And we just believe that for you. And so you're welcome to be here or forever long. God wants you to be here. Now, there's a lot of people that are stuck in our world right now. They're struggling. They're trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to, to, to grow spiritually? And that's what we're going to focus on. Now, as we jump into chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, I think, today. And, and as we do that, one of the things that Paul is zeroing in on is a very specific subgroup of brand new Christians, right? Brand new Christians, okay? These are not Greek Christians, otherwise known as Hellenistic Jews, or these are not Greek Jews that are known as Hellenistic Jews. These are not Greeks. These are not uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. These are people that Paul really has a heart for, and that is his own nation, people who grew up Hebrew, people who grew up Jewish, people who have followed the law of God, the Mosaic law, for their whole life, and really learned that the way that they connect to God is through the law. And, and, and now, all of a sudden, Jesus is on the scene, and he changes all of the rules. He turns everything upside down. He says things like this, like, follow me, because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And people are like, what? That doesn't make any sense because we have to follow all the rules of the Mosaic law. There's feasts, there's festivals, there's tabernacles, there's sacrifices. There's all of these things we have to do just to make God pleased with us in any way. And Jesus says, not anymore. Not anymore. Your relationship with me is going to cover all of that. I will be the once and for all sacrifice. I will be your once and for all hope. I will be your high priest. And it changes everything in the first century for these Christians. For many of us, when we tend to look, especially if you're in the room right now and you're not super religious, you tend to look at religion, I imagine, because I did and, and, and I know others do, look at religion and you think to yourself, well, I'm just not a person who follows a bunch of rules. And by nature, I'm not a person who loves to follow a bunch of rules either. So I get that. 
But you need to realize that while you look sometimes at religious people and you go, well, they're so silly with all their stupid rules and all their dumb things that they, they have to follow, you need to realize you follow the same kind of rules yourself. You just have, and the Bible says about people who are, who are outside of the kingdom, basically says that they've become a rule unto themselves. So it doesn't matter if you're religious or you're irreligious. Here's the deal. We all follow rules because rules are what actually make life work for us, right? We have financial rules. We have health rules. We have all kinds of things. Uh, like I was talking to somebody not too long ago who's a vegan, right? How do you know that someone's a vegan? They'll tell you. That's right, right? Just, just like CrossFitters. Hey, you know why CrossFit? I, yeah, we know. We know. Uh, we know you CrossFit. Everybody else knows too. You just, people just tell, they, they will speak about it. Why? Because it's their rule. Like, like when we think of rules, we think of just like little things. But, but the way the Bible describes a rule, a rule of life is a philosophy of life. It's an overarching principle that guides and kind of governs your life. And so you have these rules, right? As a vegan, you have these rules like I can't eat meat, right? I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't have GMO kind of, kind of things. I, I don't do dairy. I don't do eggs. I, there are just certain things that I don't do. And there are benefits that you believe that come from that. And this has to do with, watch this, this is so important. This has to do with the way in which we make decisions. Sometimes the way in which we make decisions gets us stuck, and sometimes it helps us get unstuck. So I'm going to look at three things, three things that cause us to get stuck in life. And then we're going to dive right into the text. Here we go. The first thing is a demand in your life. And everybody has these things, regardless of whether you're religious or not, right? Three things that cause us to get stuck in life. A demand in your life, a threat in your life, and a promise in your life, okay? And we're gonna take a look at, like, what do those mean? Like, a demand in your life is something you must do. It's just something you must do. And I want you to think this morning about what are the things that are constantly nagging you're like, I must do this. I must be in school. I must have a better job. I must be a better person. I must, 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 right? So this is the demand that's in your life, something you must do. Then the threat in your life is something that will happen if you don't follow through with the demand. If I don't go to school right now, that means I'll never go to school and I'll never be a successful person, right? If I don't fix my marriage in this moment right now, then my marriage will fall apart and I'm never gonna be happy, right? Uh, then there's a promise in your life. And the promise is the benefit that follows if you do follow through on the rule. And we all kind of have these ideas, right? So I'll give you an example in one way that these kind of rules change my life. About two years ago, I didn't really talk a lot about this with a whole bunch of people when it happened, but about two years ago, I was feeling really terrible. And I was just physically, I was feeling terrible. And I was struggling and I was trying to figure out like, what do I need to do? And finally, I went to my family physician and she goes, man, listen, here's the first thing. You're 60 pounds overweight and you need to make some changes in your life. And there was this guy uh, in, our, in our church and he's a, he's, a, he's a personal trainer. He's a big giant guy. He's a personal trainer, and before I went to the doctor, he noticed that. He just goes, hey, listen, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll train you for free for, uh, you know, three times a week, I'll train you for free. I was like, well, the price is in my range. And, uh, and, and, and he was like, you really need it. I'm like, thanks, I know I'm fat. Uh, um, and, and, and he was just like, you know, he was, he was trying to be helpful. The doctor comes and she says, listen, you, uh, you, you've got these problems in your life, and, 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 and here's the problem. Mike, this is not just about you just eating the wrong things. This is next time you come back, which is going to be in three months, I want you to do some things. But in the next time, because of your blood tests and all of that stuff, you're going to be diabetic. You're right on the borderline of being diabetic. My, my, my grandfather was a type 1 diabetic. And, um, and this is a long time ago. He was a physician, actually. He cut his uh, foot in the Bahamas on some coral or something like that. And then as often happens with people who are diabetic, uh, it, it became gangrene and it was just a terrible thing. And 
it just, it was awful. And I didn't even know any of this. And I went to go visit him in Texas one day and he sits down and he got in his little Barco lounger and I'm sitting there, I'm like eight or nine years old. And he's just sitting there and I always noticed my grandpa walked with a limp, you know? I was like, oh, that's weird. And I just, nobody told me. There's no revelation in my family about this. But all of a sudden I sit down and I see my grandpa, he just pops off his leg, you know, because he lost his leg to, to gangrene. It's just a thing. And I was just like, this was hideous. And so when she said, when she goes, you're going to be diabetic, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to hop around on this. On the, like, yeah, it's just like, it was just sudden. And I just had sudden, like, oh my gosh. But what she did was she made a demand. She said, hey, listen, you have to do this to fix your health. Otherwise, there's going to be a consequence in your life. And it's going to be that your health is going to deteriorate. You're going to have to shoot yourself full of insulin. We're going to give you an insulin pump. A promise in your life. If you can turn this around, then things can get better. And with that, I made a change in my life, something that changed overnight. I went back to the trainer. I said, yes, finally, I will do this. It's still free, right? Yeah. And, uh, and for the last two years, I've been doing that. I show up Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And he's got a rule. He's got rules about it. You can, it's not just about what you do with your body, but it's about what you put in your body, right? Same thing with your heart. It's not just what you do with your, with your life. It's about what you put inside of your life as well, right? And so one of the things that I discovered was that there is a demand, there is a threat, and there is a promise. And Ultimately, we're constantly making these choices. The question is whether or not these choices are wise or not, and we're going to show you how, to, how this, what this looks like in a, in a minute, but I want you to see it in the Bible as well. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, it goes like this. Do you not know, which is Paul's clever way of saying you should already know this, all right? Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives, okay? So, hey guys, you should know this already, and he's talking to brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in what way? Brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are Christians, and so the Bible constantly calls us brothers and sisters. We're united in him, therefore we're united with each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I am speaking to those who know the law. So I'm not talking to Gentiles that have become followers of Jesus, non-Jewish people. I'm not talking to Hellenistic Jews, Greek Jews, I'm talking to people who grew up with the law. You served the law. You worked the law. The law told you who you were going to be. It formed your identity. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it determined whether or not you'd spend eternity with God or apart from God. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, watch this, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. So when we die, we're no longer bound by the law, okay? So this idea of authority that the law has authority over someone. Now, the closest case that we can find to something like this actually in today's life is you have people who have authority over your life. If you're in school, your teachers have authority over you. They can say, submit these papers, submit to this test, and I'll set the parameters for that, and you're gonna follow the rules, and as you follow the rules, you'll either be successful and get an A, or you'll be not so successful and you'll get whatever else, right? So, so, so that's just kind of that, how that works. My brother is uh, an IT guy, and he lives up in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he's, a, he's a really, he's really good at his job. He builds networks and computers, and he's just really good with all that kind of stuff. And he's a super conscientious guy. He goes over and above all the time. And uh, he's working for this company, and if you go, if you're a person who goes over and above all the time, I think that's great. I think you should be a go-getter. But with that said, if you're in a company that has a culture that's toxic, or that's unhelpful, then being a go-getter can often be uh, used and abused. And so that's exactly what was happening with him. I would call him up, he'd be like, I'm exhausted. I'm like, why are you so exhausted all the time? Why are you tired all the time? 
And he's like, well, they call me in at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, and I've got to spend three hours there in the middle of the night fixing the network and making sure everything's online, everything is online. They don't hire some other people. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, that's just, that's terrible. And then they expect me to work from nine to five. And I'm like, Dan, Dan's my brother. I said, Dan, that's impossible. Like you can't live under that. Cult. And I said it and I said it and I said it. Eventually he got it. And he's like, I said, you're, you know, you've got these amazing skills. There's these incredible companies in Columbus, big companies. You can go and you can work for one of them. And that's exactly what he did. He actually went to go work for one of these companies that has a much healthier culture. He literally tells me now that because he's a go-getter and because he goes over and above, they will actually say, you need to go home right now. You have a family, which I just think is so wonderful. It's really culturally just a great, a great kind of idea. So, so he's in this place that's amazing. Now, now he left that company about a, uh, about a year ago. Well, six months after he left the company, they come to him and they go, Dan, we've got some problems with the network. We don't know what to do. We want you to come over here and fix these things. And I go, tell me you didn't do that. I go, tell me you didn't do it. Like, you, you went, you, I knew he did. Tell me, tell me, like, tell me that you didn't go over there. And he goes, no, I did. And I said, well, tell me right now that you're on contract, that you are, it's $250 an hour, and they're paying you for to do this, right? That's what, that's what you're doing, right? He goes, no, I just wanted to go over there and help them. And I'm like, no. I'm like, no, that's not what you do. Why? Because at one time, they had authority show up, do your job. But now, when you separated from them, you're no, they no longer have any authority in your life. There's, there's no connection with you and them anymore. Like, you might want to do good things for them, and that's your prerogative to do that. But they can't say, come and fix this thing, because that's your old boss. You worked for them at one time. Now, you have a new allegiance to your new company that you're supposed to give your best to them. And this is the heart of what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he's talking about the law in the life of a believer. You guys who are Jews used to live for the law and you worked for the law, but when you entered into a new allegiance, a new relationship, the Bible actually uses the concept of like marriage, the idea of a new marriage, like you, when you connected with Jesus and you were in intimacy with him, trust with him, relationship with him, that severed the relationship to the law that you once held. Now you go, well, this is cool. That's great, man. I didn't know that, but what the heck does that have to do with me today? Here's what it has to do. Because you and I constantly are run by laws. And some of us who are Christians, we look back in the Old Testament, we go, oh, well, here's all these laws. And these laws, can you go back to the three things for us again? Just slide before. All right. So there's a demand in your life, there's a threat in your life, and a promise in your life, right? And so the law makes these same kind of demands. The demand basically in your life is, be exactly holy as God is. Be just as holy as God is in your life, right? The threat is, if you don't, God will be angry and you'll have no relationship with him. And the promise is, you can do it. But I want to give you a bigger picture of what it looks like for us to understand the law for a second. The entire purpose of the Old Testament law is never to comfort your heart. Don't run to the Old Testament laws to feel comforted by God because they won't. All they'll do is hold a mirror up and say, you're not good enough. And you go, well, that doesn't seem nice. Like, why would God do that? Here's why he did it. He had a bigger plan at heart. Generation after generation after generation had to sacrifice and do all of these big, giant pronouncements for God, only for them to realize, I can't do it right. And what God was doing all through the Old Testament is he was showing people who would come after that, that's us. He was showing that generation after generation of people, and we're no better than the people who lived before. We just have more technology. But, 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 but generation after generation after generation of person husband and wife, father and son, daughter and mother. They died. 
feeling as if they never were able to live up to the law. And the purpose of that was to say, you can't. And because of that, you need someone to come rescue you. You need a savior. And it doesn't matter if your rule of law is athletics, beauty, veganism, whatever it is, money, your sexuality, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what your rule of life is. Those rules will always make a demand, they will always threaten you, and they'll always give a false promise that comes along with it if you just work harder and try better. Listen, if your spiritual life is of that nature right now, I need you to understand you're following the law just like those in the first century did and not following grace. Because watch this, watch this. Because if you're walking around constantly feeling, watch this, constantly feeling like you are never good enough for God, you need to know that in Christ, you're once and for all good enough. That's it. Like you're once and for all good enough. Because Jesus died for your sins, he declared you righteous. He said, that's my daughter. That's my son. And they're fine now. Why? Because of what they did? Because they obeyed? Because they did it right? No. Because my son died for them and all of his blessing applies to their life. That's it. And for us, though, that means that we don't have to walk around burdened and overwhelmed all the time. That's why Jesus said to a bunch of Jews who followed the laws their whole life, who felt burdened all the time, by the demands of the scripture and the threat they were constantly under. I gotta do this right. If I don't do it right, I'll die apart from God. And then Jesus comes and he says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And people were like, it can't be that simple. And he's like, it's not gonna be simple, but the hard part will be bared by me, not by you. I will die for you so that you can live for me. And it changed the course of history. So why doesn't the law apply to us anymore? Well, people um, that look into the Bible, sometimes they just, they don't really understand the way that it's structured sometimes. And so, so you'll, you'll get these people sometimes who will be really critical of the Bible, especially like these anti-theist types, these guys that go around lecturing all the time about how the Bible's wicked and all these bad things happen inside the Bible. And there are some tough things that we have to explain inside the Bible for sure. But sometimes they'll take some outdated things that were never meant for us today and, and apply them to us. Like for example, there are three different types of law. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are three different types of law in the Old Testament. Civil law, ceremonial law, and then moral law. Now, there's only one of those that applies to us today. Civil law, it just makes sense, right? This should like, be self-evident right now, right? Civil law is the national rules. Uh, it's the civil government of Israel, the ancient Israel that was governed by kings. This is how we do things. So just as France's laws don't apply to us here in the United States, United States laws don't apply to France there. They just don't. We have different laws and different systems. So in the Old Testament, all the civil laws, they are not for us today. And then there were ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. These ceremonial laws, the, the whole purpose of their job was basically to say to, uh, to, to Israel, to the people of God, hey, one day there's this guy coming, right? And he's going to rescue us. So they remembered the feasts and the, and the celebrations and the sacrifices and all of this ceremony that Israel had to do over and over again, reminding them that God is coming, God is coming. But then when Jesus came and God came, we didn't have to do that anymore. That's the entire nature of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament saying all this old stuff is a foreshadowing. It no longer applies anymore, but Jesus is everything, right? And so now we have just one of those things left. It's called the moral law. 
And the moral law in the Old Testament is a revelation of the heart of God, right? So when you get rules like don't kill someone, don't murder someone, right? Or you get rules like don't commit adultery, don't, or, or rules like don't lie or don't steal. All of these things are a reflection of God's heart for his people, and then he asks his people to have a reflection for him, right? He says, he says I don't want you to murder someone randomly because they're created in my image, and they're beautiful to me, and I don't want you to destroy it. I promise I won't do the same thing either. I won't just randomly kill people because I have the ability to do so. And by the way, I don't want you lying to each other because I promise when I tell you something, you can always count on it. It'll always be true. I'm not a God who lies. And when I say don't commit adultery on each other, it's because I will never promise you that I'll be faithful to you and then renege on the promise. I'll never do that to you. And as a result, now all of a sudden, the moral law applies to us still, but it doesn't have a demand, it doesn't have a threat, and it doesn't have a promise that comes along with it. Because if I do all those things, that still doesn't make me right with God. And if I break all those things, it doesn't make me not right with God if I am a follower of Jesus. And you go, well, that part, I get the first part, the second part leaves sketchy, seems like you can do whatever you want. If you're saved by grace, once and for all, you get to do what you want. Watch this, hold on, keep him, keep him, all right? But if you are saved, if the old person has died, and the spirit now has created that new man, we are now new creations, what we want to do is different. You see, no one tells me, Mike, be kind to your wife. Make sure you do this for your wife. Make sure you do that for your wife. I love her. <laughs> so I do those things for her. There's no rule. There's relationship. I'm passionate about her. Like she's, she's my all. She's my bride 30 years ago. No one's in the background going, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. But I love her, so I do it. See, if you are moral because there's a threat or a demand, and that's the only reason, you will not be moral for long. But if you are moral because you fell in love, that lasts. It lasts. And so he gives an example of this. He says it like this in verse two. For example, by law, by law, so by Mosaic law, uh, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. So when we enter into marriage, it, it's supposed to be permanent as Christians. That's what we do. Now, now, now realize that if you're divorced right now, I'm not throwing stones at you right now. It's not what we do either. Okay, in, in a second, you'll see why. Because the identity when you become a follower of Jesus fundamentally changes. You're not, there's no threat by the law anymore. You're changed, okay? Now, so, so let, me give it, let me give it to you this way. Uh, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband for as long as he is alive. In other words, she's supposed to stay married to him. He's supposed to, marry, to stay married to her forever. And we see this, guys, because this, again, is, the re, is a reflection of the heart of God. So the heart of God here is this, that it doesn't matter if you are a baby boomer. That's like, like my parents, Right? Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. doesn't matter if you're a millennial in the room right now or you're my kids who are Gen Z. If, if, if we're going to like just, if we can just for a second, if we can just subtract hookup culture, which I don't think hookup culture is at all about relationship. It's about satisfying physical urges. It's actually self-destructive. It destroys you and it destroys her. And we walk around like wounded afterwards, okay? It feels good in the moment because that's just what that does. But afterward, it's, our souls hurt. 
But when we really want like relationship and connection, here's what happens. We come together, regardless of the generation, we come together to look for something that has permanence, something that lasts. Do you know why that is? Because God lasts forever. The ultimate hope of our life is that we will be with him that lasts forever. And because he is our ultimate love, we look for that same love here. No one stands before a priest or a rabbi and says, yeah, um, dearly beloved, we're gathered together here in the sight of God in the presence of these witnesses to join together this man and this woman in the holiest state of matrimony for two months. No one does that. Why? Because our heart, our desires to do that. And if you're divorced, you know that the pain of that divorce was the breaking of forever. That's what it was. It was complicated. It was hard. But it's also a law. And the promise of the law that we believe that's wrong is that we can do it. And so some of you promised that I'll follow this rule really as best as I could. And you couldn't. And it's interesting because he goes on and and says, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. Verse three. So then, he gives another one, like just to accelerate this issue. And by the way, this is not a teaching on sexual morality right here. This is a teaching on the fact that the law has limitations, okay? So then, if she, it could be he, if he has sexual relations with another, well, man or woman, uh, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. See, this is what the law does, okay? This is why you cannot find comfort in the law. All the law's job is to do is to call you an adulteress. So she moves from being a wife to being an adulteress. When she doesn't follow this rule, her identity changes. She's no longer, you know, coveted, um, um, treasured, desired wife. She now becomes an adulteress. You now become a thief. You now become a fornicator. You now become a homosexual. You now become a liar. You now become a this. You become that. All the job of the law is to do is to push out condemnation. Why? Because it shows us that we cannot live up to the standard. But that's not where it stops. So then if she has, or if she has sexual relation with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So if, you, if your wife dies, if your husband dies, you're set free. In other words, you're not bound to that other person forever. Now this was, a, uh, this was an amazingly um, freeing doctrine in the first, in the first century. Um, even 500 years after this was taught, in um, northern India, there was a practice called sati. And, uh, and this practice was essentially that when a, wa- when a husband died, they would burn his body, right, in a big giant fire. And originally, it was designed, this, this, this rule was designed for wives who loved their husbands, who were noble and virtuous. She would then run and jump on the fire and burn with her husband as he died to follow him into the afterlife. And then it became not so voluntary, it became involuntary. And so even the wives that didn't want to do it were forced into the fire and they, and they, and they lost their lives. And Paul's saying, the law of God at death actually ceases the prior arrangement that you had. In other words, if you're married, you're no longer married. You still have love for that person. I mean, how could you not? But you're free. You're able to move on. And so he goes on, he goes on and he says this. Um, I, I want you to kind of look at it from the perspective of what we just talked about. So let's take a look. She goes from a wife to adulteress. There's an, there's an identity change. Um, so what we see is that there's a demand in the law, and the demand is stay married. There's a threat in the law, 
If you don't, you're an adulteress or an adulterer. And there's a false hope in the law. Oh, I can be good. I will always do this right. I can stay married perfectly. I'm going to say that um, as Christians, if we don't have three people in our marriage, it's going to be really hard to stay married. You cannot love her enough, and she cannot love you enough to stay married if you go through a really, really bad season. You need Jesus in your life. It's always the three of you in that marriage. The purpose of the law, what is the purpose of the law? I want you to see it up here again. The purpose of the law was to make sin visible. So the purpose of the the law was to say she is an adulterer or he's an adulterer, right? To make sin visible to us and to show us that we could never be perfect on our own. Now, I was uh, out last week and I was having um, a great time. But about three years ago, um, I kind of hit this this time, right? Like the week before uh, fall kickoff. And my calendar just accelerates from now all the way through Easter, okay? And so I just, I have a really long season and I was exhausted and the staff was looking at me and the executive team was looking at me and they're going, there's something wrong with you. What's going on? And I'm like, I'm just exhausted. I don't get that way a lot. This thing I'm doing right now juices me up. I love it so much. I want to do it forever, right? I won't be able to. My job's irrelevant when Jesus is around, okay? So, so but, 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 but what I want you, I got so tired, I was exhausted. They said, here's what I want you to do, because they were caring for me and loving me well, and it's important that you have a culture that's healthy. And they said, we want you to take a week off before you, you preach fall kickoff and then go into this next season. And so I go over to Shingle Creek uh, Resort uh, every year. We get this great discount by somebody that's uh, here at the church, and uh, I'm not going to tell you who. And... Uh, and uh, we, I just sit by the pool. I just sit by the pool and I just read books. Uh, and I do it for seven days. And I just said, it's marvelous. Did you bring the kids? No. No, I did not. It's just me by myself. But I can only do a, so much by myself time. So I'm talking to this couple in the pool, right? And they got a rule. They got a rule of law in their life, right? And it's, it's just kind of their fitnessy type people. And, you know, they wanted to talk to me about fitnessy type things. And so we did a little bit. And, uh, I want you to see, I wrote down a couple of things after, I went back to after this conversation. They were getting ready to have dinner at this great restaurant in Orlando. And I was like, oh, you're going to love it. They were from out of town. And, uh, and this is what she said. She says, well, we have to run 10 miles before we eat because we're planning on having a big meal tonight. Said me never. Okay, just, just can I just say that right now? I mean, I'm just amazed at people. I'm like, what's your next vacation? Oh, we're climbing this hill. I'm like, yeah, no. I'm going to be at the Marriott, just sitting by the pool. Um, my three days of working out is all I'm doing, okay? That's it. So, 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 so she said, you know, we have to run 10 miles before we uh, are planning to have this big meal. And that's the demand. I have to. Hey, what are the things in your life right now that you're constantly thinking over and over? I have to, I have to, I have to. I got to work like 50 hours a week. I got to work 80 hours a week in order. Why? Because if I don't, someone will get ahead of me. And what the promise is, if I do that, though, I'll be, I'll be okay and everything's going to work out. Not so much, right? So, so the, the next thing they said is, you know, she said, I hate missing a workout because I feel so undisciplined. And for her, sin is being undisciplined. That's what it looks like for her. They're not religious. They told me they were not religious. But that's the threat. If I don't do this, and she held me accountable for it. I mean, these are, these are non-Christian people. And she's like, hey, because she, she knew that we talked about fitness. stuff. So she goes, did you hit the gym this morning? I was like, Yeah. I mean, like, I did, I did, I hit the, I was there, I was doing my, the thing that I'm supposed to do, and, and she was holding me accountable for it. Why? Because she was trying to care for me. She's like, I don't want, to, there's a threat on you right now. If you don't do it, you're going to be undisciplined, and we think that's bad. And then she said, she said, but, but, I've done really well. We've done really well for the last month. You know, we eat really well. We've done really well. What is that? 
That's the hope. That's the false hope. Because you know what's going to happen next month? They're going to not do it so well. And then the next month, they're not going to do it so well. And then that next month, they're going to kill it. And then, the ne- and then they're going to have more fo- false hope again. And it's just try harder, do better, try harder, do better. Where is the demand in your life right now? Pay attention to the demands in your life right now. Why? Because those demands will either get you more stuck or they will help you get unstuck. Where are the demands in your life right now? Where do you feel threatened? I mean, if you just examine your life right now and go, where do I feel threatened? It will help you. Here's, here's where I want you to see. Um, I want you to go down to uh, verses um, five and six, and this is where we're going to end. This is what Paul says. He says, uh, for when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. How were they aroused by the law? Okay, so how do we relate to the law now? This is how we relate to the law now. Um, you, died to the, you died to the demand of the law. So every time you look in the Bible and it says you must or thou shall not, there's no demand there anymore in Christ. You died to the demand of the law, and that is be good, make sure you're good. You died to the threat of the law. You're not going to be God's friend if you don't do this. Jesus made us God's friend once and for all. You died to the false hope of the law. I actually can be good. As soon as you stop thinking that you can, you can kill this thing and that you got it all together, and you start realizing that I'll never get it all together, then you're ready for a savior. Then you're ready for a next step. For someone to come in and go, I can fix this for you. And that's what Jesus did. He said, when you were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions, and then we were all governed by our own sinful passions, aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Listen, guys, this is all we're talking about right now. Like, there are consequences of the choices that we've made in our life that look at that phrase, bore fruit for death. What does that mean? It brought death into your life. For some of you, it brought the death of a relationship because you've made an unwise decision. For some of you, it made, uh, it created a death in your work environment. Why? Because you felt threatened and you made some bad choices. There was a demand. You didn't want to give into it. There were some frustrations there. You just messed things up. Take that pressure off yourself. There's a lot of false promises that we believe that everything's going to be okay. I get a good education, everything's going to be okay. No. It's not true. That if I'm, don't cheat on my wife, everything in my marriage will be fine. That's not always true either. If I'm good with my money, all the days of my life, I'll have enough when I'm done. And that's not true either. You might get to the end and killed it all the way along and the stock market goes to one. And we're all in trouble. There are no guarantees. But, verse six, but now, by dying to what once bound us. The things that constantly demanded and threatened us to what bound us, we have been released from the law. Hey guys, that's a description of somebody who's a Christian. You have already been released from the law so that you may serve in the new way of the Holy Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Don't walk around just following rules because someone told you follow a rule. Follow the Spirit. The Spirit who says, I want your life to be filled with love and joy and peace. These are the fruits of the Spirit the Bible talks about. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's who we are in Christ. That's who we become in Christ. But we've got to let go of that old self. We've got to let go of walking around constantly feeling the demand and the threat in our life. Where is the demand and threat in your life? Look at it. Examine it. Look at the promise that you tell yourself after that. 
Is it true? If it's not true, let it go. And that's how you're going to get unstuck. And that's our first step in getting unstuck. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come right now and ask, God, that you would just open our hearts and minds to receive your word. That we would be set free from all the things that demand and command that are not in Jesus. Father, thank you that in Christ we have a new relationship with you. One that shows us that we get to walk with the Spirit and not in fear. We don't walk around overwhelmed all the time and anxious because we're afraid that we're not doing things right for you. There is a winsomeness to a new relationship with Christ. And for those in the room who are not super religious, not a follower of of Jesus, wouldn't identify themselves in that way. Father, they have their own rules. And those rules can be so demanding. May we not walk, God, in fear and worry all the time, but set free by your Spirit who gives us life and wholeness and goodness, starting here and lasting forever and ever and ever with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.